Our scripture reading this night comes from Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. Sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Josh, for reading those words for us. If you are in need of more space, there's some overflow seating uh, over to my left, to your right. This psalm is traditionally read uh, on Ash Wednesday, and Ash Wednesday, of course, is a call to remember who we are. Remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We have just heard said over us. Ash Wednesday is a call to self-examination and to repentance, to turn away from sin and to turn to Christ in faith. Ash Wednesday in the season of Lent 
Uh, it's not a time uh, where we pretend that we are less than we are or a time where we pretend we are more than we actually are. It's not about keeping a ritual that ensures God's pleasure. And it's not about practicing piety in order to be seen. Ash Wednesday is above all about honesty. We are dust. We are creatures made by our Creator, and therefore we belong to God. But even so, we try to justify ourselves. We live as if we were our own Creator. Ash Wednesday is about turning away from being our own, turning away from controlling our own lives, turning away from the attempt at being creator. Ash Wednesday is remembering our dustiness. It's a time to reflect on especially our need for repentance and renewal. And here in Psalm 51, we read a song of just that, repentance and renewal, written by David. Of the seven penitential psalms throughout the book of Psalms, only Psalms 38 and 51 are two psalms that explicitly focus on confession of sin. We didn't read the psalm introduction, but the introduction to Psalm 51 tells us most what we really need to know about the background of this psalm. If we know the narratives of the Old Testament, hearing the names David, Nathan, and Bathsheba, we might add to that Uriah, hearing those names, we already know the story Especially we know the sin behind, Isaiah, uh, behind Psalm 51's confession. It's the, the sin of David's murder of Uriah and his affair with his wife Bathsheba. But like the story of David and Bathsheba, the point of Psalm 51 is more about God's grace than it is about human failure. And this is good news. This is good news for us. The, the psalm can be divided, the section that we read can be divided in two sections, verses 1 through 9, focus on David's cry for repentance, cry of repentance. And verses 10 through 17 focuses on David's request to be renewed, to be made new. So repentance and renewal lead to a new and contrite heart. Let's think about repentance first. In, in the first verses here, um, verse 1 through 9, we see that David is uh, crying out to God. And with his, with his sin in mind, we hear the words that he says. He cries out for cleansing. He says, be gracious to me. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. Purify me. Wash me. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all of my guilt. David, David knows that he has sinned. He talks about his rebellion twice. He, he, calls, he calls it my guilt, my sin. And he cries out for restoration, for cleansing. But the acknowledgement is, is not merely of a one-time sin, a, a, a moment of indiscretion, a momentary failure. David basically is saying, my problem is not just that I need pardon for a particular sin or a particular wrong, but I need deliverance from the predicament of myself. David realizes before God that he is profoundly broken. 
That it was not just one sin, but it was abiding sin. Brokenness in his life from which he needed cleansing. But it gets worse. It's, it's not only that David has sinned against Bathsheba in adultery. It's, it's not only that he planned the death of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. It, and it's not only that he has uh, attempted to deceive Nathan as he calls out David's sin. All of this demonstrates a pattern of sin and it's bad enough. But even more, David acknowledges the ultimate offense. The one he ultimately offends by all of his actions. David says, against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. David acknowledges that his sin is ultimately against God. And that God is just in finding him guilty. David does not hide. He does not try to minimize the severity of his sin and rebellion. Rather, he acknowledges that he has sinned against God. He acknowledges the cost of his sin and he's left, in verse 17, with a broken and contrite heart. The the Puritan Thomas Watson said, until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. And here David tastes the bitterness of his own failure and his sin. And I think here tonight, we are here with David. If we're honest, and Ash Wednesday is all about being honest, We stand in the very same place as David in need of repentance. In our moments, I think think it's easy to maybe misunderstand repentance though and it's worth thinking a little bit about how we might be prone to a kind of religious repentance. In religion, our only hope is to live a life good enough to require God to bless us. So every instance of sin and repentance is actually traumatic. It's unnatural. It's threatening. Only under great duress would a religious person, would religious people admit that they have sinned because their only hope is their own moral goodness. There are two specific ways repentance like this falls short. First, religious repentance is selfish. Religious repentance feels sorrow for sin only because of its consequences. It expresses regret over lost opportunities, painful circumstances, personal embarrassment. We regret getting caught. We regret hurting ourselves. We regret looking stupid. Sin brings punishment and we want to avoid punishment, so we repent. That's, that's a selfish kind of repentance. A second kind of religious repentance is self-righteous. Religious repentance is an attempt to atone for our own sins. This kind of religious repentance is a form of self-punishment, feeling really bad about what we've done, through which we convince God and ourselves that we are so miserable and that we have suffered so much for our sin to the point that we deserve to be forgiven. It's a kind of manipulation of God. Neither of these are true repentance. The gospel shows us that our acceptance in Christ makes it easier to admit that we are flawed because we know that we won't be cast off when we confess the depths of our sinfulness and brokenness. Our hope is in Christ's righteousness, not our own. So so repentance is not traumatic 
To admit our weakness is to be freed. From a religious point of view, we repent as little as possible because it indicates our failure, our failure to live a good life, our failure to be moral. But from a gospel point of view, we can repent more and more. It becomes part of our life. We can be known more and more for who we really are. Church, instead of a place of hiding and pretending, it becomes a place where we can freely confess how much we need Christ. We can do all this because the grace of Christ accepts us. In the grace of Christ, we are loved. No, don't get me wrong. Sin still has a bitter taste. But in the gospel repentance, in gospel repentance, there is ultimately a sweetness. Lent is a time of gospel repentance. And, and this repentance next in the psalm leads to renewal. In verses 10 through 17, David appeals to God for for renewal, for transformation, he asked God to create a clean heart for him, to renew a steadfast spirit within him, to restore the joy of salvation, to sustain him and give him a willing spirit. Here, David knows that God alone can, being, can bring renewal. Only God can restore and sustain. Sin and rebellion has left God, uh, David with a broken spirit and a humble heart. And he knows that he needs to be made new. And we need the same thing. In, in our prayer of confession just a few moments ago, we prayed that the Lord would create and make in us new and contrite hearts. But how does this happen? What does it mean to be renewed? Renewal is not merely a lifestyle change. It's not, it's not feeling sorry about the bad things we've done. Renewal is not a New Year's resolution. Renewal is much more than that. Renewal is is passing from death to life. The Apostle Paul says in in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, uh, in in verse 4, but God has made you alive. In Romans 8, Paul says, Christ, uh, Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Gospel renewal is transformation. It's an act of God whereby he gives us new life. Eternal life and new life now. A, a, a kind of counterfeit renewal shows up in the temptation to change ourselves. Uh, a counterfeit renewal is motivated maybe by pride or fear, and, and it fails to produce any real change. Pride is this kind of self-exaltation, and fear is this self-preservation, but both of them merely motivate external behavioral change. But because they don't address our real need, our need to be made alive from being dead, our our need to be transformed, fear and pride, they don't give us new life. They don't produce in us lasting change. Guilt and shame is is not about, Lent is not about guilt and shame. It's, It's not about feeling really bad. It's not about laboring under a kind of condemnation. Again, it's telling the truth. It's being honest. It's seeing that we are only renewed, only have life by the power of God. Renewal comes through God's work in Jesus Christ. 
Paul himself says to Christians, he says, your life is hidden with Christ and God. And all through his letters, Paul talks about how Christians are in Christ, in him. This means on the one hand that the Father accepts us in Christ and treats us as if we had done all the things that Jesus had done, living a righteous life. But this also means that Christ's life comes into us, abides in us by the power of the Spirit, and shapes a new kind of person, a new heart. The gospel is not just a truth about us that we affirm with our minds. The gospel is also a reality we must experience in our hearts and in our souls. For those of you who are here tonight, who are Christians, who, who are following Jesus, who have, who have followed him in baptism, um, the reflection quotes on the first uh, page of your worship bulletin here, you might turn there. Uh, Martin Luther gives us this encouragement about baptism, second from the bottom there. Luther says, baptism is tantamount to Christ saying, my righteousness shall be your righteousness. My innocence, your innocence. Your sins indeed are great. But by baptism, I bestow on you my righteousness. I strip death from you and clothe you with my life. This is how we receive a new and contrite heart. Christians, we can reflect on our sin and our brokenness during this season. We can sit for a time in our failure and see how far down the sin problem is in our hearts and in our lives. We can do that because we know that after Lent comes Good Friday, comes Easter and resurrection. Our baptism is the sign and seal of God's work of grace in our lives. It's the sign and seal of renewal. If you're here tonight and you're still thinking about what Christ means to you, you have not yet followed Christ in baptism, I'm so glad you're here. You're seeing on display the life of a disciple, the life of repentance, but the repentance that leads to renewal and newness of life, not to despair. Let me leave you with this. When you go home tonight and when you wash your face, as the water runs down on your hands, remember your baptism. When Satan and your sin and your conscience condemn you, condemn you with guilt, let this be your one confession. Nevertheless, I am baptized. For if you are baptized, you have received the promise that you shall be saved and have eternal life, both soul and body, as you reflect on your sins and you repent. You know that you will be renewed by Christ. For those in Christ, death is never fatal. It's not the last word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you, in the power of the resurrected Christ, would give us the ability to see our sin, to acknowledge our brokenness, to not look away, no matter how deep it is. Oh God, in, in, in these places of brokenness, would you meet us? Would you renew us? 
give us a new heart. Renew our spirits, Lord, that we may enjoy and love this beautiful Christ that you have given for us. As we reflect on our brokenness in the season, let us always turn to this beautiful Christ who gives us himself. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.